Evening, everyone. Uh, glad that you are here. We are going to continue our series on Behold the Savior. Tonight, the title of this class is Behold the Teacher. I chose this quote, which reads as follows. A teacher affects eternity. He can never tell where his influence stops. I love that. No other teacher has affected eternity more than Jesus, and his influence will never stop. I want to take us through the Jewish educational system just to give you kind of like a background on what it took to become a teacher or a rabbi. So from the ages of uh, five to 10, boys and girls, they would go uh, to Beth Sefer, which means house of the scroll or house of the book. And there they were focused on the Torah. You know, it, this is the written law that God gave Moses. On the very first day of school, the boys and girls, they were given the slate. And on the slate, uh, the Hebrew letters were written in honey. And then the rabbis would read scriptures to them, one of which is Ezekiel 3.3. It reads, then he said to me, son of man, eat the scroll I am giving you and fill your stomach with it. So I ate it and it tasted sweet as honey in my mouth. Then the rabbis would instruct the students to eat the honey right off their slate. This is because they wanted to impress upon their children at a very young age that the words of God were as sweet as honey. And by age 10, they had memorized the entire Torah, Genesis through uh, Deuteronomy and some of the Psalms. After Beth Seder, Oh, and by the way, this is an image of a, a Jewish child. He's licking the honey um, right off the slate. It looks laminated, um, what he has there. I know it looks like the kid is getting ready to puke, but trust me, he's in for a sweet treat. So the next level would be Beth Talmud, which is the house of learning. Um, this time is boys only. Uh, the girls would go off and learn how to cook, clean. They would learn a trade and get married by the age of 13. Uh, the boys would also learn a trade. And here um, at Beth Tamud, they would be taught by a Torah teacher. They would focus on memorizing the rest of the Hebrew scriptures from Joshua to Malachi. And this time, they would learn the oral Torah, and they would learn the Jewish art of questioning. And we see this when Jesus is in the temple at age 12. Um, so in Luke 2, verse 41 to 51, I'm going to read it. It says, after three days, this is when Mary and Joseph lost Jesus. They thought he was among the relatives. You know, it's like a home alone a story here. So after three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, 
Why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? So here we see Jesus <clears throat> answering a question with a question. I, I just love this passage. Uh, um, so much so that when people say they've been looking for me, I say, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? And uh, we see this throughout the gospel. Whenever Jesus had confrontation with the Pharisees, you know, for example, in March, uh, Mark 15, they were criticizing Jesus and his disciples for not giving their hand the ceremonial washing. He said, you know, why don't your disciples hold on to the tradition of the elders? And Jesus in turn asked them a question. I just replied, and why do you break the commands of God for the sake of your tradition? So after Beth Talmud, they would move on to Beth Midrash, also known as the house of study. And again, preteen boys there. However, anyone in the community could come in and participate. The boys were taught separately by a Torah teacher. Here they engaged in the scriptures. They discussed rabbinical legal decisions, and they learned how to debate with teachers. And the image to my left is what it would look like. The two uh, debaters are on either side uh, with the audience going around them. And to the right, it's a model in color of what Bed uh, Midrash would have looked like. And we see in Mark 12, 28, it says one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. So they learned to debate at Beth Midrash. Now, once they went through all this schooling, they would um, present themselves to a rabbi, a rabbi who had, could be a common rabbi, because they had two kinds, common rabbi, and they had the rabbis with authority. And they would go to these rabbis and asked to become their Talmud um, or follower, disciple. The rabbi would test them, grill them with questions. It was very rigorous to see if they had what it took to become their disciple. Now, every rabbi had their own particular interpretation of the scriptures and the rules that they would add to it became known as that rabbi's yoke. So when you follow that rabbi, you would take that rabbi's yoke upon you. Now, the rabbis, these teachers, they had 613 commandments that they followed. And they were adding to that. And Jesus, as a rabbi, he would have had a yoke as well. But he didn't have 613 plus rules attached to it. He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light in Matthew eleven twenty-five 25 to 28. In fact, Jesus summed up the whole Old Testament and the prophets into two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if the rabbi believed that they had what it took to become their follower, that rabbi would say, lek hakarai, which means come follow me. Then they would leave their family, their village, their local synagogue where they were studying. They would leave everything to follow that rabbi. 
and they would give their life to be exactly like that rabbi. Now, in order to become a rabbi with authority, you had to be ordained by a rabbi with authority. This ordination ceremony is called the shmikha. All right, try saying that. Um, shmikha. A shmikha means lean on. So someone with authority can shmikha for his wisdom and power into another. Now, these rabbis would with authority could pass legal judgments, they could introduce new interpretations or doctrines, and they could raise up disciples to follow them. So where is Jesus in all of this? So um, after Jesus, Jesus would have done the uh, training, the schooling that we just discussed because it was every Jewish family's responsibility to make sure that their child went through the Jewish educational system. So in, uh, in the gospel here, it says, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. This is in Matthew 3. Verse 13 to 17. So why is Jesus going to John? He's going for his shmikha or ordination. Was John a rabbi? No. So who gave John the authority to perform Jesus's shmikha? God did. And we see this in John 1.33, where John says, I and I myself did not know him. But the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So it was Jesus's smikha ceremony with God, the Holy Spirit, and John. And it is at this point that Jesus goes in authority and starts his ministry. I don't know about you, but this fires me up. So John is a prophet functioning as a rabbi, and his authority came from God to perform this Shemitah or ordination. So did Jesus, some questions here. Did Jesus go through the Jewish educational system? Uh, yes, he did, probably up until Beth Midrash. A question that comes up a lot is where was Jesus between the ages of 12 and, and 30? The gospel seems silent on that. Um, well, Jesus was in Nazareth. Uh, the image you see on the upper left-hand corner, that's the city of Nazareth. And Jesus, he went to, um, he was known as a carpenter's son. So he went to uh, his father's son, his biological father, Joseph, and 
assisted Joseph in the carpentry shop. Later on, when Joseph passed, Jesus um, applied his trade and he became a carpenter. And we see that Jesus was a carpenter in Mark chapter 6, verse 3. And, and again, it would have been his responsibility as an older brother to take care of his mother Mary, uh, his siblings. He, he had sisters as well. And um, when they were in a position to kind of assume that responsibility, uh, Jesus went off and he started his ministry. Now, did Jesus study under any rabbi? Uh, no. Um, and here's how we know. It says, coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? That's Matthew 13, 54. So he couldn't have studied under any rabbi if they asked, where did this man get his wisdom and these miraculous powers? Also, they once challenged him and they said, by what authority are you doing these things, they asked. And who gave you uh, authority to do this? And we see this in Mark eleven twenty eight. 28. In other words, they wanted, when Jesus was turning the world upside down, they wanted to see who they could hold accountable for Jesus, you know, and all that he was doing. They wanted to see who's responsible, um, whose disciple is this that he's going on and doing these things. Where did he get his authority from? And we know that his authority came from God. Another question that comes up is people speculate and they try to, you know, they wonder if Jesus uh, traveled to India to study Buddhism and, and Hinduism. And according to the Gospels, um, he did not. So Jesus grew up in, in Nazareth. Um, even the demons, when Jesus drove out demons, they said, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? So he stayed locally um, in Nazareth. Uh, in Luke 4.16, it says he went up to Nazareth where he had been brought up. Again, Jesus was brought up in, in Nazareth. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read, and basically, uh, what Jesus reads from the book of Isaiah, and what he says offends them. He basically tells his Jewish audience that, you know what, you guys might be self-righteous, you think you're God's chosen ones, and you are. However, sometimes God does choose to use the Gentiles, and they didn't like to hear that. But not only that, Jesus went on to say that God sometimes shows favor to the Gentiles. And they became even more furious. Uh, so much so that in verse 29 says, they got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. And that image at the bottom, this is the cliff that they wanted to throw Jesus off of. Imagine that. All right, I'm going to switch gears here, and we're going to look at the patience of the teacher, the patience of Jesus. Um, let's begin with the Pharisees. In Matthew chapter 9, and verses 9 to 13, it says, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your 
teacher, eat with tax collectors and sinners. On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. This is a scripture from Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. Now, do you think the chief Pharisee, let's call him Mr. Chief Pharisee, went and gathered all his Pharisees around him, and he said, all right, brethren, go ahead and turn over with me in your scrolls to Hosea chapter 6. We're going to study, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, because Rabbi Jesus said so. Now, you think that's what they did? No, that is not what they did. How do we know? In Mark chapter 12, three chapters later, it says, beginning verse 1, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said, look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. The truth is, it was lawful in Deuteronomy chapter 21 uh, through 25. God said it's okay. He answered, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on the Sabbath, on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath, yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the innocent. So this is kind of like I told you so, a moment. Um, so these Pharisees clearly did not go back and do what Jesus said, but Jesus was still patient with them. He could have rebuked them. He could have done many other things, but he just simply said, look, if you had you know, gone and figured out what that means, you wouldn't have made the same mistake twice, essentially. Now, not only was Jesus patient with the Pharisees, he was patient with people in general. In John chapter 2, this is in the beginning of Jesus' ministry, it says, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money so he made a whip out of cords. And scholars believe the whip looked something like this. It was made of palm or papyrus fiber. Okay, this rope here. And overturned their tables. So this is an image of a, a Jewish merchant. And that would have been the tables that Jesus overturned. So that was the first time. But Jesus continues to show us his patience with people a second time. So now did they do this once, they're doing it a second time. Mark 11, this is the second time they do it. Beginning in verse 15, it says, On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, did you catch that? As he taught them, he didn't, re he didn't rebuke them. 
he, he didn't call down, you know, a legion of angels. He didn't bring down lightning. It says he simply taught them. He said, is it not written, my house will be called the house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the image to the left is a picture of a table um, from first century Jerusalem. Now, not only was Jesus patient with the Pharisees and the people in general, he was patient with his apostles. In Luke chapter 9, verse 46 to 48, it says, an argument started among the disciples. Um, this is the 12 we see in Mark 9, 35. As to which of them would be the greatest? Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is the least among you or who is the greatest. Okay? So he uses a child as an example. It goes over their head. 13 chapters later, guess what happens? Beginning in verse 24, Luke chapter 2, it says, A dispute also arose among them as to which of them, again, the apostles, verse 14, I was considered to be the greatest. Jesus said to them, again, not a rebuke, wasn't harsh, Jesus said to them, the kings and the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? but I am among you as one who serves. So they didn't get the child analogy. So now Jesus is using himself. He's like, okay, look at me. You didn't get the child. Went over your head. Look at me. What am I doing? I am serving. You want to be great? Do what I'm doing. Serve. But we see he's patient with his apostles. Now, when I did this study, I realized that did you know that Judas never called Jesus Lord? Judas never called Jesus Lord because Judas never made Jesus Lord. The three times, I, I mean, Judas spoke to Jesus several times, but in three gospel accounts, we see Judas referring to uh, Jesus as simply rabbi. That's all that Jesus was to Judas. Uh, Matthew 26, 25. Says then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Truly you don't mean me, Rabbi. Matthew 26, 49. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. And lastly, in Mark 14, 45, Judas once again, going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. And we noticed that, I noticed that. Anyone who did not make Jesus Lord, um, it didn't end well for them. The rich young ruler, he went away sad. To, to the rich young ruler, Jesus was just a good teacher. And Jesus, you know, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus answers a question with a question and says, 
Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. And the Herodians, again, the Pharisees, Jesus was just a teacher to them. In contrast to Simon Peter, Simon and the apostles, they did call Jesus a rabbi, you know, from time to time, because that is what he was. But we have record of Simon and, and the apostle John calling Jesus master. So here in Luke 5.5, 5, Simon answered, a master, we've worked all night, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And again, when the woman who had the issue of bleeding touched Jesus, Jesus said, uh, who touched me? When they all denied it, Peter said, master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. And lastly, um, at the transfiguration, it says, as the men were leaving, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let's put up uh, three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And even John called Jesus Master, said, Master, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him uh, because he is not one of us. So the takeaway here is that Jesus just can't be a good teacher to you. This is what he is, but he also must be Lord. Because if not, then how are we any different from Judas? Okay, which brings me to this. Did you know that Jesus's only destructive miracle uh, in the Bible was at a fig tree? Um, in Matthew 21, verse 19, you know, Jesus was hungry and he saw a fig tree by the road. He went up to it, but found nothing except leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered. So to my left, that's, a, that's an image of a fig tree um, full of leaves. And to the right is a withered fig tree. Um, what I want to highlight here is that Jesus could have done this to the Pharisees, the stubborn Pharisees, um, who eventually uh, caused him to die. Um, he could have done this to the people when they were selling at the marketplace in the temple, a big no-no. He could have done this to the apostles, like, like Peter, for denying him. He could have even done this to Judas. Who, who betrayed him, but Jesus was patient. The only miracle, the only destructive miracle he did in the Bible was at a tree and not a person because our Lord is patient. All right, gonna look now at different teaching models that researchers found in 1940. So they said five people uh, retain 5% of what they hear from a lecture. 10% of what they, they retain 10% from reading. 20% uh, if it's audio visual. They'll retain 30% of the information if it's demonstrated. 50% if they have a discussion about it. 75% if they practice doing it. And 90%, get this, 90% if they teach others. 
So we're going to break this down. So adults retain 5% of what they learn in a lecture. And Jesus used this method. In Luke chapter 5, verse 1 to 3, it says, One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Genesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. Essentially, he's giving a lecture. He, set, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So this is Jesus's lecture. Um, adults retain 10% of what they read. And Jesus encouraged reading. He encouraged engaging in the scriptures. In Luke 24, verse 25 to 27, it says, He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said, again, what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. He said, guys, if you would have read, you would know that I was the Messiah supposed to resurrect. Okay, and we see him really just pointing people back to reading. In Matthew 19, 4, it says, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. So Jesus always encouraged people to read. Next, adults retain 20% of what they see and hear. This is audio-visual. And Jesus taught audio-visually. In Luke uh, chapter 20, verse 20 to 26, it reads, So the spies questioned him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach what is right, and that you do not show partiality, but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? He saw through their duplicity and said to them, show me a denarius whose image and inscription are on it. Again, answering a question with a question. Caesar's, they replied. He said to them, then give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Again, he spoke. Um, he's known for speaking to them. And here he actually does a little show and tell. Uh, with the denarius by asking him whose image and inscription are on it. Next, adults retain 30% of what they see demonstrated. And here Jesus demonstrated for the apostles. Let's read in Mark 5, 37 to 42. This is when a young girl um, has died. It says in Mark 5, 37, 42, he did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, 
he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. Now, um, that was a demonstration for Peter. And we find Peter doing this in Acts chapter 9, 39 to 41. It says, when Peter, uh, Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the windows stood around him, all the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room, just like his master taught him. Put them, those unbelievers out. Put them out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up, just like Jesus did when he told that girl to get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. Again, demonstration. Adults retain 50% of what they learn when they discuss it with others. Jesus was a discussion group, group leader. In Matthew 16, 13 to 16, it says, so Jesus, he's with his guys. He says, uh, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? It's like a discussion question. They replied, oh, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Because of that discussion, we get Peter's statement of faith. We all confess this at the waters of baptism, that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God. Here's another discussion question, Mark 9, 9 to 13. It says, and as they were coming down from the mountain, this is after the transfiguration, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, why do the scribes say that uh, first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written? of the Son of Man, that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt. But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. And we know that in Matthew 17, 13, that um, this Elijah who was to come is John the Baptist. Okay, adults retain 75% of what they learn when they put it into practice. So here in Luke 9, um, 1 to 6, it says, And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God to heal and to heal. 
And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there, depart. And wherever uh, they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. And it says, and they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now, does that not sound like what Jesus did throughout the gospels, going from town to town, preaching and healing? Well, here they're putting it into practice. Luke 8, 19 to 21, it says, Now just mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, Your mother and your brothers are standing out there wanting to see you. He replied, My mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. So he was always encouraging people to put it, put things, what they learn into practice. And adults retain 90% of what they learn by teaching others. And uh, some scripture references here in Matthew 5.19, it says, Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But... Whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And one that we're all familiar with, uh, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus, the master teacher, used all these um, methods way about 1900 years ahead of all the researchers. Jesus was already doing this. Now, I must say, I must caution you that there are false teachers. Jesus spoke about it, Paul spoke about it, and Paul spoke about it. It says, uh, so we need to watch out for them because they're out there. Matthew 24, 23 to 25 says, at that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it, for many false messiahs and false prophets will appear, perform great signs and wonders to deceive uh, if possible, even the elect. So Jesus warns us. Peter warns. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. You know, there was a battle between the huge department stores in New York City at one point. It was Macy's and I believe Gimbal's. They were so big that they were kind of knocking out all the other smaller retailers. So one small shop that was lodged between those two mega department stores bought a sign. And all it said was main entrance. And everyone started coming directly into his shop, thinking they were going into Macy's and Gimple's. And because of that, deceptive sign the customers were lured away from where they were really trying to go 
And that is exactly what Satan does. He knows that salvation is running to Jesus, but he puts the main entrance sign in front of false messiahs and false teachers, so be on your guard. I want to close with this poem uh, by Dr. Francis, and it reads this. Here is a man who was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another obscure village where he worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. And then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never owned a home. He never had a family. He never went to college. He never put his foot inside a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place where he was born. He never did one of those things that usually accompany greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He had nothing to do with the world except the naked power of his divine manhood. While he was still a young man, tide of public opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. His executioners gambled for the only piece of property he had on earth. And that was his coat. When he was dead, he was taken down and laid in a borrowed grave with the pity of a friend. Nineteen white centuries have come and gone, and today he is the centerpiece of the human race and the leader of the column of progress. I am far within the mark when I say that all the armies that ever marched, all the navies that ever were built, and the parliament that ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned, put together have not affected the life of man upon this earth as powerfully as has that one solitary life. So in closing, my brothers and sisters, the time has come for us to feast on the word of God like honey. The time has come for us to be patient with others as our teacher has been with us. The time has come for us to be teachers who affect eternity like Jesus, our teacher. Amen, and may God bless you all.